to this latest episode in the Digital Assets podcast series. Today we're discussing advertising in the world of crypto and the Advertising Standards Authority or ASA in particular. I am Doug Robinson and I'm joined by my colleagues Rob Allen and Emily May from our litigation team uh, and I suppose to introduce this uh, this podcast why are we talking about crypto advertising? Well as some of you will know already the UK has very strict rules around financial promotions relating to investments. However, as at today, most crypto products are not caught by that regime, meaning the FCA does not currently have jurisdiction over crypto ads. We recently completed a freedom of information request, which revealed that in the last year alone, the FCA has referred 17 crypto ad cases to the ASA. And it's therefore clear that the FCA is taking a keen interest in the way that crypto is being advertised. However, as things stand, the FCA needs to involve the ASA when they see something they don't like. And many of you will have seen from the press that the ASA has been taking action against firms resulting in a number of rulings against them. The ASA regulates advertising across the UK. Broadcasts, for example, are on TV or radio, are covered by the Code of Broadcast Advertising or BCAP and non-broadcast advertising, <clears throat> more commonly known as uh, such as uh, tweets and other promotions, are covered by the code of non-broadcast advertising, more commonly known as the CAP code. Most crypto advertising tends to be direct and therefore covered by the CAP code. And while the CAP code does contain various rules around uh, what ads should or shouldn't do, the wording of those rules is quite vague and their application by the ASA tends to be quite uncertain which can make compliance difficult for crypto firms. So Rob, if I can start with you, if a crypto firm is found by the ASA to have breached uh, the CAP code or it suspects a breach, what enforcement options does the ASA have at its disposal? Um, thanks, Doug. Hi. Uh, it, it's true that compared to other similar public bodies, um, the ASA does have limited direct enforcement powers. Uh, but but they say uh, that one of their most persuasive sanctions is bad publicity. And certainly, um, as we know, bad publicity can be a very powerful weapon in regulated spaces. The most common consequence is a recommendation uh, by them to remove or add specific wording and stop future red, uh, renditions of the offending advert. Uh, other potential consequences uh, include revocation of trading privileges. So, for example, the withdrawal of the Royal Mail bulk discount, uh, removal of paid for adverts in on online spaces and insistence that future adverts are pre-vetted, um, although these are usually reserved for repeat offenders. These other potential consequences beyond the recommendation to remove or add specific wording are, are relatively uncommon. In extreme circumstances, the ASA could report the firm to trading standards um, and trading standards can, seek, uh, can in turn seek criminal prosecution and confiscate financial assets. But that's very much a uh, last resort uh, and the ASA will first explore the other sanctions. So naming and shaming you on their website. OK, and Emily, if I could turn to you, if I put myself in the shoes of a crypto firm, I've just received a complaint from the ASA. What should I do next? Well, so the good news is that the standard complaint timeline gives at least seven working days to respond. And in our experience, the ASA are usually willing to extend this deadline when asked. 
the complaint tends to be in quite user-friendly language as well, um, but it is important um, regardless to take the time to carefully read and understand the detail of the complaint. So this is also a good point to loop in your marketing team and your lawyers and they can work together on a response strategy and collate any necessary documents, you know, if you are going to respond. So if you decide that you are going to submit a response to the ASA, then while your lawyers are busy preparing their detailed response, the marketing team should review your other um, advertising campaigns to see if they also fall foul of the same issues raised in the complaint. This is just because showing yourself to be proactive and engaged in the process is much more likely to keep the ASA on side and increase the chance of a positive response from them. Okay, and, and, and do I have to respond to the complaint when I receive it? Technically, no. The ASA can make a decision in the absence of your response, but your failure to engage with the process will be reflected in the wording of the final decision, and it will mean that the complaint is very likely to be upheld in full, which isn't a great outcome. Okay. And Rob, turning back to you, um, and still in this hypothetical scenario where I've received and, and responded to the complaint, what happens after I submit my response? Well, the ASA will usually provide a draft outcome within a matter of weeks, and that will be shared with you for your comments. They tend to use relatively neutral language to describe the background and often echo the phrasing in the complaint correspondence. Uh, in our experience, the ASA have been receptive to minor amendments to the phrasing, but tend to resist making any substantive changes to their position on the rules, um, however strongly you may argue. So the ASA may agree to rearrange the section uh, to highlight the proactive steps a company has taken, but they won't budge on the actual decision itself to uphold the complaint, for example. Once the ASA is satisfied with the wording of the ruling, it's submitted to the ASA Council for their review, and we're not aware of any instances where the Council has rejected a ruling. You'll then be told of the outcome and asked to sign an assurance. The assurance is pretty broad and states, amongst other things, that you agree to review your other advertising campaigns to ensure compliance with the ASA guidelines, and you won't breach the guidelines again. Uh, this is, of course, very vague wording and lots of clients aren't uh, certainly uh, entirely comfortable agreeing to it. OK, and, and so would I have to sign that assurance? I don't think so, but it's unclear what, if any, legal obligation is created if a company signs it. We haven't identified any occasions where the ASA has taken legal steps to enforce an insurance. However, if you don't sign it, the consequences are likely to be, as um, I've discussed earlier, so um, more in the, the, the line of sanctions, so referenced uh, within the ASA to its compliance team, which will continue to monitor and report on non-compliant adverts, possibly leading to further complaints and rulings against you, uh, reference to the broader committees of advertising practice committees, i.e. CAP. Theoretically, this can lead to sanctions whereby members of CAP restrict space in which you can advertise through the issuing of formal ad alerts. And these alerts basically advise members of CAPs of someone being naughty and ask them to withhold the ad space against them until uh, CAP confirms that everything is okay and the adverts are compliant again. If all the above steps have been exhausted, uh, again, uh, as I mentioned before, the ASA can refer you to trading standards and ask it to use its power of sanctions. And uh, these can uh, include fines and criminal proceedings. But um, just to repeat myself, the ASA see this as a last resort. Um, 
Of course, again, refusal to cooperate with the ASA, refusal to sign the assurance is likely to give rise to bad publicity more broadly, um, both direct and indirect. Okay, and Emily, um, if, if I can ask you, when the ruling is made against me, how widely available is it? So the ruling will be public avail publicly available on the ASA website, and both you and the original complainant are informed in advance of the publication date. The ASA will also publish updates on their rulings on their social media, so Twitter, Facebook, etc. Um, but individual rulings very rarely get much traction beyond you know, a handful of retweets, unless the ruling relates to a particularly controversial or high-profile um, facts. So you may remember, for example, um, a recent ruling banning Arsenal's advertising of fan NFTs was picked up by a number of mainstream news outlets. That obviously is just because of the high-profile nature of um, Arsenal and the fact that you know lots of fans were unhappy with this decision. Uh, but generally, media response is relatively muted. Uh, often, you'll see articles in mainstream media that group together um, quite a high number of rulings and talk about it in more general terms, rather than any one ruling in particular. There also just seems to be a general acknowledgement that there's a lack of clear regulation in the space, so we should give people a bit of breathing room. Okay, thank you. And Rob, um, what, what if any steps could I take to reduce the risk of, of this kind of complaint arising? A couple of things. Um, the ASA itself provides a service whereby they offer bespoke copy advice on whether an ad complies with uh, the CAP code before publication. However, this advice doesn't actually bind the ASA and shouldn't be taken as a, a green light to go ahead. So last year, a crypto firm had a previously ASA approved, in inverted commas, ad um, that was then subsequently banned by the ASA following a ruling. So uh, maybe not the best thing to rely on. Our advice is instead pre-vet your own advertising to ensure uh, it's compliant with some of the ASA's more common grievances, which uh, now we are familiar with after the, the, the various crypto rulings. Um, they include ensuring the inclusion of wording, highlighting that the value of investments can go up as well as down, that cryptocurrency is currently not regulated, and that cryptocurrency investments may have tax implications. That's not an exhaustive list, and it's very possible that even if an ad contains all of these wordings, the ASA could uphold a complaint on another aspect of it, uh, given how vague the rules are. However, it's a good place to start and likely to offer a, a reasonable degree of protection. Okay, thanks, Rob. That's very helpful, and I think is a you know a very good steer in terms of the the ASA's process. If we go back to where we started very briefly and the the FCA and its interest in crypto ads. I think it's very much worth flagging that, as many people will be aware, there are proposals for reforms in this area. <clears throat> HMT recently released a consultation paper in which it proposed bringing uh, financial promotions that relate to crypto within the scope of, um, of the FCA's financial promotions regime. Uh, and we're all keenly awaiting the policy statement that should follow, uh, hopefully in the not too distant future. It's important to note that notes though that there will be really two very key impacts from such a reform. The first is that on the one hand there will be much greater clarity around uh, around the rules uh, and what is compliant or not. However, crucially, um, if the reforms do come in as, as proposed, it will mean that only FCA authorised firms will be able to make or approve um, promotions that relate to crypto. And what this means is that a firm would need to either get FCA authorised itself uh, to make a promotion or um, cooperate with another authorised firm that can approve 
operations on its behalf. In addition, the FCA's um, financial operations regime is much stricter when it comes to marketing into the UK from offshore. So it would have the potential to make marketing by non-UK firms to UK customers much more challenging. Uh, but as I say, we, we await to see what, what will happen next and what the policy statement says about the reform. Okay, well, thank you, Rob and Emily, um, for providing your, your insight into this space uh, and the ASA. Uh, I hope it's been helpful for you listeners and um, please do join us for our next podcast in this series.